0: We give you the chance to hear many different people that are facing many different struggles talk about what they're doing, how they're doing it, and why they're doing it, in the belief that such listening is a crucial step in strengthening all of our efforts to change the world. On this week's show, I will be speaking with Andrew Nellis. It is certainly not universally embraced, particularly in parts of the institutionalized core of the mainstream labor movement, But it has become more and more of a piece of left common sense that the future of workers' struggles absolutely must involve and even prioritize organization and mobilization of workers variously described as low wage, low skill, low status, precarious or otherwise marginalized. Whether that takes the form of workers' centers, non-traditional organizing by traditional unions, migrant workers' groups, community-based minimum wage campaigns, or other sorts of creative organizational forms to bring workers together, it is one of the liveliest areas of social movement activity in North America these days. Yet even among people who adhere to this particular piece of left common sense, it might take some convincing to get them on board with the idea that the workers at the heart of today's show are in fact workers, and that the organization that is organizing them does indeed qualify as a union. Andrew Nellis, though, is quite certain that they are, and that it does. I'm talking about the street laborers of Windsor, or SLOW, an affiliate of the industrial workers of the world in Windsor, Ontario. Over the last few years, Slow has been having success in organizing panhandlers, buskers, scrappers, security guards, and anyone else who depends in whole or in part on work that happens on the street to make a living. Nellis is the custodian of Slow's new union hall, and he's been using his earlier experience as an organizer with the Panhandlers Union in Ottawa as a resource for Slow's core organizers. He speaks with me about the details of what it means to build a fighting organization among street workers, about the trajectory of Slow to date, about their new union hall and fundraising campaign, and about their plans for building the union in 2016. We spoke by Skype to phone from Windsor.
1: My name is Andrew Nellis. I'm the caretaker for the union hall for the street laborers of Windsor. The street laborers of Windsor are members of the Industrial Workers of the World, and we unionize people who make all or part of their living on the streets of Windsor. Now, that includes buskers, panhandlers, street vendors, scrappers, and security guards at the moment. I was the spokesperson for eight years for the Ottawa Panhandlers Union, which was a similar organization, also organized in the IWW, the Industrial Workers of the World, And for those who may not be familiar with the IWW, also known as the Wobblies, this is not an unusual activity for them. The IWW has always traditionally organized in places that other unions feared to tread. So, for example, during the Great Depression, the IWW would go into work camps and would organize the men there to fight for better conditions. At one point during the Great Depression, so many hobos were members of the IWW that if you tried to hop a train, the hobos would demand to see your union card, and if you couldn't produce one, they'd pitch you right back off the train. So what we're doing here, organizing at a grassroots level on the street with people who are traditionally considered to be unorganized labor, is something which is right up the IWW's alley. SLOW started initially as just a committee of the local GMB, that is the general members branch of the IWW in Windsor, but eventually it took on a life of its own with our current spokesperson, Richard Dalkeith. Richard was the one who did the heavy lifting here, just as I had done in Ottawa with the Ottawa Panhandlers Union. I agreed to help Richard, give him the benefit of my expertise. But as an entity, slow began with Richard, who was himself a panhandler and a member of the IWW, and he began to talk to his fellow panhandlers about what their needs were and how they were not being met. Like, for example, there was a great deal of pressure in Windsor from one particular counselor to get panhandlers off the street. He wanted to make panhandling illegal to create special panhandling zones where it would be illegal to panhandle outside of That councillor is now the mayor of the city. These kinds of pressures are not unusual. For example, in Ottawa, the pressures were even greater at an official level. I mean, here in Windsor, we didn't see the kind of explicit violence at the hands of the police, for example, that we saw in Ottawa. But they're still there. We have to advocate for our members in situations like, well, uh, a couple of weeks ago, one of our members was denied entry to a restaurant on the basis that he has a service dog. It's completely illegal to ban someone with a service dog because he has a service dog. But when we contacted the police, the police informed us, well, it's a civil matter. And they would enforce removing this person from the premises and that they would trespass this person from the premises if the owner of the restaurant desired it. And if we wanted to fight it, we were welcome to take it to the Human Rights Commission. So these are the kinds of issues that were coming up on the street. Originally, the union was only supposed to be for panhandlers and buskers. But I understood from my experience in Ottawa that there are a lot of people on the street with whom we can make common cause. A lot of people face the same issues. Anyone who makes their living on the street or any part of their living on the street relies on having free access to that street. People like scrappers, for example, need to be able to get at uh, trash bins. They need to be able to access streets and public areas without being harassed by the police. Security guards patrol the same streets that panhandlers panhandle on. And security guards are regularly exposed to the same kinds of violent dangers that someone who's busking is exposed to on a busy Saturday night when the bars let out. So a lot of these issues are ones that people share in common. And when you have those kinds of common issues, that's where you can create a sense of community. It's those shared interests, those areas where you have overlapping commonality, where you can start to build those links of grassroots community, which eventually produce something more when you get solidarity. I use that word not in the sense that most people today use it which is, you know, clicking a like button on Facebook. What solidarity means is putting your own ass on the line for someone else, sharing that person's risks, and in exchange, having that person share your risks. In essence, what you're doing is creating a union, a real union of the kind that were initially founded around the turn of the 20th century, when they were all illegal. And when you stood up to the bosses, you faced the very real threat of physical violence. And as we began organizing on the street here, we came to the conclusion that we really needed a base of operations, that this would help us to organize, but that it would also help to create that sense of community, which is so necessary when you're organizing on a grassroots level.
0: Go into a bit more detail about the kinds of pressures and barriers and dangers that street workers face.
1: Certainly, one of the animating issues for our organization was the way the BIA's
0: And BIA stands for Business Improvement Area, which is kind of like an association for businesses in
1: a given neighborhood. The way the BIAs have, almost on a subtextual level, made it very clear that they don't want people on the street unless they're spending money. For example, the BIAs put up spiky steel railings on the concrete planters in downtown Windsor to keep people from sitting on them. Now, they're not doing this to keep the bankers from sitting on the concrete planters in their three-piece suits. Bankers go into restaurants and pay money to rent a table. The people they're trying to keep from sitting on these concrete planters are the buskers and the panhandlers and the poor people. And that's not something which is unique to Windsor. It's something that you see in every city across Canada and possibly across the planet. I don't want to make it sound too much like, you know, our lives are constantly in imminent danger, but there are certain risks that you run when you make your living on the street. The street is a rough place. The difference for most people who make their living on the street, though, is that they can't rely on the police. The police are there to maintain the peace, that is, to maintain the status quo. And the status quo is that middle class people don't like to see poor people. They don't like to see anything that reminds them that we live in a class society. They would like to believe that the entire world is middle class, and so they would like to sweep anything which appears disorderly from their sight. So a street person, just like a busker, just like a scrapper, can't rely on the police to protect them. You call a police officer, and they're just as likely to run you in as anyone that you're calling the police about. So you really have to be able to watch each other's backs on the street. A union is a group of workers standing together for mutual aid and protection. It has absolutely nothing to do with collective bargaining, for example. Now, while it's true that collective bargaining is something that a union can do, that's not what defines a union. And this is a lot of the reason why in the national media coverage that our organization has received, if you read some of the comments and some of the rather obnoxious editorials written about our organization, they make snarky comments about, well, you know, what could a panhandler possibly want with a union? When they go on strike, do they stop asking for spare change? And it's because of a basic misunderstanding about what a union is. A union is not about making more money, although that's something that a union can fight for a union is simply a group of workers who have agreed to stand together because they share mutual interests. Tell me more about the early steps of organizing
0: slow and the kinds of conversations that happened with prospective members.
1: The Ottawa Panhandlers Union started in much the same way where a group of people recognized that they had mutual interests in common and began organizing on an informal basis and I was the one in Ottawa who decided to formalize the organization to affiliate ourselves with the industrial workers of the world. And I felt that was important because of the structure that it provides. So here in Windsor, part of what I was able to do with the early organization was to encourage them to make it formal as early as possible. And the reason for that is life on the street is chaotic. When I do uh, advocacy work, for example, I know that if a person says, I'll be there at a particular time if they're on the street, odds are about one in three that they'll be able to make it. If they say, I will absolutely positively be there no matter what, it's never going to be more than a 50-50 chance. And it's simply because when you're on the street, your life is chaos. You don't know what you're going to be doing from one minute to the next. You don't know where your belongings are going to be. You don't know if you're going to have money. You don't know where you're going to be. And because you don't have any kind of safety net, any kind of emergency is going to throw your life into complete disarray. And because of that, it's very important that you have a structure if you're going to be organizing on the street. So when I do training and I teach people how to organize on the street, I make it very clear that as an organizer, your job is to be absolutely 100% reliable. You don't get another chance at this. The first time you screw up, the first time you blow off a meeting, the first time you say you're going to do something and you don't, you lose that 100% and you lose those people that you're trying to organize. Because their lives are chaos, if you can show them that what you're offering them, what you're capable of providing them is absolute 100% rock-solid certainty, that's how you get people to become part of your organization. And when you join an organization like the IWW, the organization is 110 years old, so there are already these bureaucratic structures there. There are reporting structures there. People don't have to guess about where their union dues are going or who's going to hold the money or how it's going to get transferred or who's keeping the paperwork or what paperwork needs to be done. It's already there. That structure is already there. And it's that structure which is vitally important when you create these kinds of organizations because you're dealing with people whose lives are in complete disarray. Once you're able to provide them with that kind of structure, the rest of it just grows naturally. It accretes around that structure. The main organizer here in Windsor has been Richard Dakeef. Richard played the same role here that I did in Ottawa because he was plugged into the local community. He was one of the panhandlers. He was one of the people who had daily exposure and who knew what all of the local issues were here. When you're starting these kinds of organizations, you can't come at it as an outsider, and that's why organizing on the street is so difficult because typically the kinds of people who want to organize the street come from a privileged, middle-class background, and they may have a background in organizing. They might be very good organizers, but they don't understand what life on the street is like. And when they talk to someone who is on the street, they can't speak as, as an equal with that person. No matter how much they might like to show solidarity with that person, they're not actually sharing the same level of risk. So you can't talk to that person as an equal. The only way you're going to be able to organize on the street is if you start with at least one person who is already on the street, someone that everybody else on the street respects and acknowledges as an equal. Why it's so important that you be that rock of Gibraltar, that you be that you know 100% reliable person, is you're not so much offering something to them as they have certain needs that they're coming to you to have filled. So, for example, when one of our members was kicked out of the restaurant for having a service dog, he came to us. He didn't know exactly what he could do or whether we could do anything, but he brought it to us. And I happened to know how to handle the situation. We ended up going into the restaurant and confronting the restaurant owner as a delegation with our member present and came to a mutually acceptable agreement between our member and the restaurant owner. But that's a situation that we can't really predict at least in the beginning it's hard to be proactive you need to be reactive find out what their needs are and what you can do to solve those needs it's all well and fine to tell someone you know i'm i'm offering you solidarity i'm offering you all of these abstract qualities but when you're on the street you live life close to the bone you don't have a whole lot of time for considering abstract issues of justice you're more concerned about you know what you're going to eat and where you're going to be laying your head that night and when people have these specific problems, as an organizer, you're trained to solve problems. I mean, that's what you do. That's what your skill is as an organizer. So it's really an ideal match. They have a problem, that they can't solve on their own. They come to you. And then you use the resources of the group as a whole. And we're not talking here about swooping down like Superman and saving people. We're not social workers. We don't go out and solve people's problems for them. What we do is we show them how, by working with each other, For example, by creating a delegation made up from themselves, you know, their own people and organizers, us, all of us together, we can get things done that none of us can do individually. And that's why it's important that you approach this as a union and not as some kind of social justice group. Because typically what you find is when some activist comes in and solves your problem for you, it only reinforces the structures which are already there. People have been trained to be weak. You go to your social worker, the only way they're going to give you money is if you can demonstrate to them that you're desperate and you can't help yourself. So people have been trained to be helpless. When they're confronted with a problem, the only way they're ever given help is if they can show that they can't do it themselves. Well, you want to train people to be empowered. You want to give people the ability to solve problems. So what you do is you show them how using the resources that are available to them, that is, their fellow people, people with whom they share common problems, by acting together, they can create something which is stronger than each individual individually. And once people can see the practical benefits of what you're offering, that's when you provide the structure for them.
0: Tell me about the decision to find a space for the union and about how you went about getting it.
1: We decided that we would like to have a space that we could be responsible for, but that we could also use as a social space. But more than that, as it became very clear that the BIAs and the politicians did not want us to exist on their streets, we thought that it would be good to have a space where we could show people what we could do with almost no resources. We have a union hall. We offer free snacks, free coffee, a place to sit down. No one will ever bother you. Can Come in, read a book, read a newspaper, have a snack, get yourself a coffee or a pop. all of it free, nothing for sale. You can come in, have a meeting. We have a large back room, fits 50 people. We don't charge anything for the meeting space. You have an organization that needs a place to meet, we'll provide it for you. You need a place to go to the bathroom, give it a bathroom. And we wanted to show that there is absolutely no reason why every restaurant in the downtown of the city should have a sign up saying bathrooms are for customers only. There's absolutely no reason why walking down the streets in the middle of the hot summer, you can't get a glass of water at any restaurant. If a bunch of bums can pool their money and resources and create a place where any member of the public can come in and enjoy themselves without having to pay a single penny, there is absolutely no reason why every business in the city can't do the same thing. We had created a space committee. It had gone on for close to two years and nothing much was happening. So one day I declared, you know, moi c'est le committee and I found a space. In fact, the space found us. When the landlords here found out that we were looking for a space, they came to us and offered it to us for a very reasonable rent. When we got this place, it was pretty rough. It had been abandoned for close to 10 years. The place was infested with toxic mold. Everything was falling apart. There was a quarter inch of filth and dust on everything. And it took a lot of elbow grease to get this place in shape. But I knew the first time that I saw this place that it was intended for us. It has good energy in it. It's a little rough around the edges, but that's okay because we're rough around the edges, too.
0: How is SLO paying for the space? Is it through dues or through some other means? We pay dues.
1: We're a union, a real union. We carry union cards. We pay dues, but we also do fundraising. For example, in order to pay for the sign outside our union hall, we had a sign party. We sold tickets. Buskers, who are members of our organization, provided old labor songs that night and people paid money to come down and listen to them. And with the money we got from that, we were able to afford our sign. We have a GoFundMe campaign right now. We've raised enough money to put carpeting in the back room, which was part of our goal. We still have a ways to go. If anybody would like to help support the organization, our GoFundMe campaign can be found at GoFundMe.com slash slow, that is S-L-O-W dash I-W-W. If you can afford anything, we'd appreciate it. We will put it to good use. Part of the plan for this place involves being able to sustain it over the long term. And that means finding sources of income that are not going to interfere with this place as a free social and organizing space. So what we plan to do is buy some vending machines, which we can install in the back room, and organizations who want to book the room will be able to help sustain the space by buying goods from the vending machines rather than going to a store to buy snacks or stationary supplies.
0: Give me a sense of some of the other kinds of things that make up the day-to-day and week-to-week
1: activities of SLOW. Initially, as I said, we were reactive, people who had problems like, for example, one of our members was beaten up, she had her money taken from her, and we made sure that we had people stationed close by for the next couple of weeks in case it happened again. One of our members purchased some rape whistles and handed them out to the other members so that we could alert each other in case of danger. And that's what we did initially in order to create the organization. Now we're trying to be a little bit more proactive by looking at value-added things that we can provide for people. Currently, we're working on a code of behavior written by our members and for our members, which will help to show the city that we are responsible members of the community and that we want the city to be nice just as much as everybody else does. A lot of the things that are in our code of behavior, such as leaving the space cleaner than when we arrived, These are things that we already do anyway, but by formally agreeing to abide by these conditions, we show people that we do care. We're not just parasites in the city. We actually care about the community that we inhabit, and we're citizens just like them. Some of the other things that we're doing right now are uh, we're trying to forge links with City Hall. We've contacted a number of politicians. As you can imagine, it's a little difficult to get them to sit down at the table with us. But as they realize that some of the programs that we have are going to be a benefit to the entire city, I think they're going to come around. For instance, our buskers have agreed to provide free music lessons to anyone who wants to learn how to busk. We also have a program where people can drop off old used musical instruments that they no longer want, and we will hand them out to people who want to become buskers. We will unionize them. We will teach them to use the instrument. And in this way, we actually provide value to the entire city and not just to our membership. At the same time, we grow our own membership.
0: So earlier in the interview, you talked about security guards being one of the kinds of workers who are eligible to be part of the Union. And when you were doing that, you talked about how they can have experiences in common with folks who are busking, folks who are panhandling. But I'd imagine that there are other kinds of situations where interests of, say, security guards and panhandlers don't necessarily align quite so neatly. Tell me more about that potential for tension among different
1: sorts of members of SLOW. This is not unique to just our organization. You mentioned that you're from Sudbury. I'm sure you're aware that they had a situation there where they had their own union scabbing on each other because their collective agreements forced them to cross their own picket lines. We've had members in the IWW as a whole in Windsor who've worked for businesses that were very hostile to panhandlers. And we've had discussions about what would happen if their bosses told them that they would have to move a panhandler along And ultimately, you just have to rely on goodwill. Certainly, I think it's better to have a security guard who's been ordered to move a panhandler along who is part of the same organization that that panhandler. Ideally, you would have a discussion between the security guard and the panhandler where both can come to a mutually acceptable agreement where neither one really gets screwed over. As much as the security guard wants to support the panhandler, the panhandler also wants to support the security guard. That panhandler doesn't want to see a security guard fired for not doing his or her job. I think that person would be willing to work out something so that you would find mutual ground. And again, that's what this organization is based on, is finding that mutual ground. The capitalist society exists to eliminate all relationships between people except the economic. If people have relationships with each other, if they're motivated by things other than profit motive, capitalism breaks. And the IWW has always been very clear that we are an anti-capitalist organization, that we are a revolutionary organization, and that we are here to destroy capitalism. And the way you do that is by creating community, by creating these mutual relationships where people collaborate because they want to, not because they have a gun to their head, either literal or economic. And I think that's the benefit that you see in cases like this, where there are potentials for class conflict. You're able to solve those with the organization, without having to resort to coercion. What's coming up for SLOW in 2016? We really need to branch out. Our membership has started to stagnate in terms of absolute numbers, which is why we need to start really pushing the organizing with scrappers and buskers far as security guards go, I'd really rather not discuss that because they're in an industry where any sign of organizing could result in firings. We anticipate that having a union hall now and providing space to other community groups means that we'll be able to forge links throughout the community in places where we haven't had links before, which is part of the reason why we got the union hall we can sew ourselves into the larger framework of the community as an organization. And in that way, we both empower ourselves and allow other organizations to help in a way which is not disempowering to people. We're an organization which has proved ourselves capable of existing, of, you know, swimming with the sharks. And we offer an opportunity for people to reach their hand out as equals and participate with our organization and to actually receive something in return from us rather than simply us being the targets of largesse, as if they were bestowing alms on the poor.
0: You have been listening to my interview with Andrew Nellis. He's been talking about his involvement in Slow, the Street Laborers of Windsor, to learn more about their work and to support the fundraising drive to make their new Union Hall a useful and vibrant community space, go to GoFundMe.com slash slow iww. That's GoFundMe.com slash I-W-W. To find out more about Talking Radical Radio, the guests, the theme music, and the ways that you can listen, or to suggest topics for future shows,